Hi, uh, this is uh, Mike Edelhart. I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast now kind of homegrown video cast about new ideas in science, consumer products, sometimes even a little glimpse of the future. And we have all of that in what we're going to talk about today. So I'm here with Amelie Kilikini. Well, I don't know if you're Parisian, but your company is in Paris, and that's where we met. Now, New Yorker, the CEO of Colibri. Great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure, as always. So let's start. You know, what you're doing as a company is pretty scientific. Yeah. So maybe start with the everybody listening to this isn't the scientist version of just the, what it is Calibri does and why it matters. Yeah, well, I like to say that we play music to cells, so mammalian cells. And the reason why it matters is because that will help unlock the industrial potential of advanced therapeutics. So we're talking about cell and gene therapies that are game changers to cure incurable diseases. So cancer, Parkinson, Alzheimer, all of this. But we don't have the tools and technologies to scale them right now. And one of the reasons why is because we don't know how to grow cells at scale. Funnily enough, what the industry is doing right now is they're using these bioreactors that have impellers at the bottom of um, them to steer the cells around. But if you think about it, like very, very intuitively, and your cells inside your body are not used to being steered around, they're really comfortable. So playing music to cells is the catchy tagline, but really we're using acoustic waves as a much more gentle way to guide the cells, trap them, have them grow in high density and decrease this production costs by a 50x factor. Yeah, it's really kind of amazing to see. It's one of the great demos I have experienced in the past few years that these bioreactors sort of look like great big tubes. Yeah. And there are cells in there and the cells are the point. Uh, these are the cells that would be the basis for a medicine or food or whatever. And it looks like a bunch of chaotic stuff in a tube. And then your waves hit it and they just line up like little soldiers. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. Thank you for saying that word chaotic. And I love that because it's really that right now the industry is using suspension bioreactors and inside it's chaotic so we're using the acoustic waves as a way to organize well the cells into these cell layers extremely organized and if you want to think about a day-to-day thought when you go to new york city for example where i am right now in the middle of the street there is street work it's extremely loud and sometimes it's not feeling very well for my body and if I'm in nature then my body will react very differently and I feel that what we're doing from a science perspective is exactly the same to the cells they're reacting through their environment so bringing coherence and organization into a chaotic environment. And this matters a lot because if you have a new cell that can impact a deadly cancer, that's yeah. great. As long as you can make enough of it yeah. to reach and touch all the people who uh, need it. And that's often the problem. You've got a little bit and mm-hmm. it's really hard to make a lot. Exactly. So we have, I like to say that we have the therapeutic promise, but it's not an industrial reality. And some of the production costs for one patient can be as high as $3.5 million per patient. So that's not scalable. You can have the best treatment in the world. 
it's never going to make its way to the patient, nor to market for that matter. So now that we have decades of feedback and promise and success clinically, uh, how can we make that a reality for, well, all the patients out there? And this is really the mission of uh, Calibri. How, how can we put that science to serve humanity? It's really exciting stuff. And we were in love with the company right from the beginning. And we were in love with both you and your co-founder right from the beginning, felt you were a really strong team. But I have to say, when we met you, he was sort of right out of central casting, that heads down, science guy, very engineering. You were not. I mean, when one thinks of a scientist doing what you're doing, you don't look the part. You are much cooler than expected. And, And that's great. And it makes for great meetings and all. But I wonder, is it an issue? I mean, folks sort of expect you to be Marie Curie or something, and then you show up. And has that been an issue with you and Gabrielle and and your co-founder? How have you dealt with it? Yeah, that has been definitely an issue uh, for many reasons. I feel like if I take just the example of last month, I was pitching in front of 400 people at Hello Tomorrow. And lots of people came to me say, this is amazing. The way that you tell the story of Calibri is amazing. Also, I used to be a professional pianist, so I kind of bring that into the mix, say, hey, pianist, engineering, bringing myself into the story. But then I got the comment was, is this for real? I mean, you don't look like any of the other CEOs, founders pitching. So it's kind of like, what are you doing here? Like nobody expects you to be here. And from the fundraising perspective as well, I have been challenged a lot. You are not the PhD. You are not a male. They never said that, but I really always felt that ineffable feeling, which is like, hey, we're not expecting you to be here. Could you please go where you're supposed to be? I don't know, like some job in cosmetics or I don't know, you know, like these are some of the biases that I have to deal on a daily basis. And I've got a lot of feedbacks or unsolicited advice. Could you possibly bring Gabrielle to Mm. show that it's not just a female thing and to put some testosterone on the table? I got that feedback. I'm like, or could you please dress differently so that people don't pay attention to your looks? And it's like, it's 2023, guys. What are you telling me? Yeah, so I'm just curious. It's very interesting. kind of sad in a way to hear that folks can't get past it. You, it so it kind of implies that if you did all this in the dark, yeah. you know, only on radio, folks would react one way and then okay. you turn the camera on and they say, oh, you're young and blonde and now I got a whole different thing going on. What are you doing to deal with it? Uh, have you come up with a way to deal with it except to have a whole lot of patience or uh, what? So I used to try to uh, hide it see fit more in a way and now I've it just didn't work I tried the way I was told that it would work being more masculine in the way that I leave the company being more aggressive and now I'm like okay you know what this is who I am and maybe that can be my superpower so embracing who I am at core and you can't see my boots but I'm wearing silver boots right now and it's like this is who I am and if the investor of or if anyone uh that is in the audience when I'm pitching has a problem with that. It's just a problem within themselves because I'm showing something in them that they are uncomfortable with. And I feel that the more that I embrace myself, I just 
attract the right people to the table. And it means that maybe the the pool of people that are going to be interested in investing in a female founder that is not a PhD, I'm an engineer still, but well, it's it's tinier, but it's fine. And it just also allows people to be themselves as well. So I think that's really the only way to go. One of my watchwords all through my career has essentially been, if you don't get me, screw you. Right. I mean, um, screw you. Exactly. Uh, had the good fortune to have some strong backers and all that. And I am a guy, so I didn't have to deal with that. But still, I think there's always someone willing to think they know you better than yeah. they know yourself. Or in my case, I'm really short. I am yeah. not a tall person. So I would get that sort of, you know, hey, shrimpo. Oh, look, they sent a boy to do a man's job. And my attitude was, if you don't get it, you're gonna when you see me in the job. So um, your problem, deal, which has allowed me to get through it when I was younger. And I hope has made me more open and us as a culture more open to uh, all different kinds of people, all different kinds of success. Uh, We have, as you know, a lot of females and younger people and different cultures on the team. And I think it's helped us make better choices. So, you know, when you mentioned this, I, it never really had dawned on me. I mean, I can see, I know you're young. I know yeah. you're, you know, got blonde hair and all that, but it wasn't material in the conversation any more than if you'd been, you know, a dumpy grandma. That's not what we're focusing on here. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I can always only talk from my perspective, but I think it makes you more open from the people that I, I talked to and I I talked with a lot of investors and I felt the bias and I will forever remember the first time that you told me and you had decided to invest in us already. You said, well, we have female founders and we see them operate on a daily basis and we see how transparent they, they are. And when they have a problem, they bring it up with solutions, which is not always the case for male CEOs. And the reason why is because we're just being trained differently. And then you said, but the females are much thicker. They have thicker skin because they, it was hard for them to get there. And the viewer, were the first person to acknowledge it. And for me, that made a whole difference, even in my journey, because, you know, I felt like I was making it all up. And I had so many people tell me, it's in your head, Emily. You're being treated exactly the same way that your male counterparts are. Yeah. And, you know, I, I came out of Entrepreneur First and we came out five CEOs raising and the four of them raised in three, six months. And I, I was still there hustling and trying to make my case when I had much more evolved and mature technology, right. had a business model. And I have even competing entrepreneurs that have bioreactors in their hands. They don't have a business model. And I keep getting challenged. And I have partners on the table and it's all in my head. Have you looked at the fucking statistics? I'm sorry for my words, but that just like that for me. I was me, avoiding that, using that word, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah, no, but the statistics are talking, right? It's not just in my head. And when we get in the rooms with the female founders, we're all feeling the same thing. So right. what does it mean? We're all hysterical. All of us are creating it. Without a question, the prejudice is real. Uh, I've said often it's, there is no possibility, none, that only 2% of the great entrepreneurs in the world are female. 
half the people on the planet are female. Yeah. So, and in our case, when uh, we're just not focusing on it, we wind up with 30 some percent, almost 40%, I think, of the companies have female founders, not because we're looking for female founders, just because we're not, not looking for female founders. And so if we just let nature take its course, we end yeah. up with a lot of females. And, and that's great, but it means elsewhere that something is going on that limits their reaction to females. And so the prejudice appears to be real. I don't get it. Courage, talent, drive, all of those things are not sex-linked characteristics. And again, I'm Jewish. I come from a culture that's a matriarchy. So so not even in my family. I, uh, so I can only imagine how frustrating it must be. And as if you somehow have to be someone you're not in order to do what you need to do. But the fact is that despite all that, you're doing it. So let's talk about the round. So yeah, you're round, which is closing now. So you had the first close and then there's a second close coming. It took forever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, six months, eight months. Yeah, uh, how long did it that. take? It, it seemed like a very it, long time. Yeah, it took us a very long time. And I think it's because, well, many reasons. It's a complex business. It's a complex in industry. It's hardware as well. So I feel that right. people are a little bit more reluctant than if it's software. So it took us a long, long time. We just closed 1.6 million. Well, with you guys. So we're really happy about that. And uh, it was led by Creative Ventures. SOSV also uh, came in and um, in the process of onboarding new investors to uh, raise the remaining 1.2 million for the mm -hmm. round. The, the terms are set. If anybody uh, at the time we're doing this conversation, you're done with the first close heading toward the second. So if anyone, you know, and it's still uh, April or so, you should reach out because this is a really great company and increasing manufacturing capacity in clinical and then potentially consumer areas like uh, lab grown food that are very important worldwide is why we invested. But you know what really impressed me? Well, two things impressed me or maybe three, during the period where you were hung out to dry on this race. One was you kept everything stable. So yeah. uh, we see a lot of founders. So you know, uh, you're a tough cookie. Uh, the money's not there. Things get pretty crazy pretty quick. And in your case, the money wasn't there, but there was a grant. Yeah. You managed to keep everything moving forward, yeah. even though um, this process got all stretched out. Hey, I, I like to say that it was a blessing that it took us forever because I never was in luck in my whole life. Thank God for that. But that just led me to really understand how to be really financially mindful. I like to say that we are spending money in a very mindful way. How do we keep sustaining the company? And I put skin in the game, right? At some point, we uh, the grant were late. Um, so we had a little bit of cash flow issues. I, I had savings because I come from the consulting industry. So I had a lot of savings to pay for salaries. So this is what you have to do at some point. And, you know, I think it's just when you when you believe in the vision that you have and when you know that you have something that can help people, you just keep going. And I kept going. And more power to you. And the other, if it's okay, I bring this up. You were open about the stresses and strain on you yeah. as a person and the sort of mental impact all this had on you. And I was really impressed by that because we see it a lot. Again, we see all this research on how folks are under stress 
And very few entrepreneurs have the courage to step forward and go, I'm kind of a wreck because of this. And I'm, I'm wrestling with dealing with it. And you did very uh, forthrightly. Yeah, I think, you know, I believe that. And I think that goes back to uh, how are you handling being a female, being blonde? And the way that I'm handling it all is just by being myself, my true, most authentic self. And I, I do believe that helps people around me. So I, I had a moment where mental health was a thing for me. Um, in the past, as a consultant, I burnt out. And we went through this fundraising that was taking forever. And I was under a lot of pressure from a lot of mentors telling me, you need to put pressure, you need to create FOMO, you need to be, you need to do, you need to do, you need to do. I mean, that was just too much. I just had to take it, take it to my sacred space, Corsica. This is where I come from and mm. say, okay, you know what? Time out. This isn't working for me anymore. And if I'm burned out, the company isn't working and it's not going to go anywhere. And I felt that it's also, well, my duty and responsibility to show, hey, this is what's happening with mental health. These are the tools that I'm using. But just so you know, I look like I'm succeeding on the outside, but I'm struggling as well. And, you know, creative actually was, um, we started talking with them at that moment and they asked, hey, anything new in the night, in the past two weeks or so, and I said, you know what? I took some time off because I was completely exhausted. And I remember Kulika saying, oh, you're in it for the long term. But when I was saying mm -hmm. it, I, I was scared because I felt, well, I'm saying it out loud. I'm putting this on the line. It's either she's in or she's out. And that just gave, well, you know, at the end of the day, you only attract your tribe. So right. you might as well right. be wrong about who you are. Yeah, uh, oh, I agree. And I think, creative reaction is exactly the right one. A lot of startup success comes from keeping yourself in the game until you can win the game. And yeah. often that isn't until very late in the match or even in garbage time. You just have to keep going. And if you do burn out or uh, exhaust yourself and start making bad choices or get angry because of that, you'll never last. You'll never make it. So on that score, so you love Corsica, you were yeah. in Paris, but here you are in New York. So you picked up and you moved your whole life yeah. over here. And you mentioned earlier, New York, eh, that may be my favorite place. So why'd you go? What are you doing there? Uh, how's the experience of picking up and transferring yourself been? And how are you and Gabrielle doing with him there and, and you here? Well. First of all, I chose New York because when we met, that was in San Francisco. And I had folks telling me, you need to move your whole company. And there was a lot of resistance in me because I don't vibe with San Francisco. I don't know if it's allowed to say out loud, but I don't That's vibe. Okay. A lot of people don't. <laughs> and uh, New York for me was a good trade-off between, hey, this is the U.S., but it's also closer to Europe, and the time zone difference is not that bad. So I moved my whole life, and I have to say, and I'm going to be extremely raw because I think that's my superpower, it's challenging starting over. Um, I mean, you're changing your environment, so you no longer have anything that is in your life. So the people that are here, even I teach fitness classes. This is something, a side hustle. I love it. And I don't have that here. So I have to mm. recreate my whole life here. Uh, but also I love it because I'm 
seeking growth all the time. And I think this is also why I'm a really good entrepreneur because I, I like to grow as a human being. So changing environment is just the best way to actually grow because you, you don't have any frame of reference. And the reason why we're here is because we are actually hosted by IndieBio. So we started the sixth court of uh, IndieBio New York. Uh, they're part of SOSV. Right. And they've got some pretty uh, terrific resources there for companies to take advantage of. Yeah. Oh, my God. If you see the offices in New York, they're amazing. They have labs as well. A lot of equipments that are amazing. I like to tell our partner there, Steve, that he can't get rid of me anymore because I love the offices so much that I actually come to work from the office every day, which I didn't when I was in Paris. So. Yeah, got it. So what next? So you guys now have your round, hopefully... Pretty quick here, the second close. Uh, what's next for Libra? What's next? Well, we've shown that it works. Our science, using sound to grow cells. Um, we are in partnership with an AAV company, so a biotech developing a drug for cystic fibrosis. What's next is coming out with that, because right now we've been extremely secretive, building in the behind the scenes uh, this technology and really showing to the world cell engine therapy people, hey, by the way, we're still here and it works and we believe that it can help and transforming these prototypes into a product because right now they are prototypes that are running in our labs, but you want to make it work and generate revenues. Got it. Well, can't wait to see what happens next. And I you know, sort of half expect next time we talk, if you stay in New York, have the Yankees cap on, you'll be talking real fast. You'll be bouncing in your seat. Uh, you'll become a New Yorker. Maybe, maybe not. Life will but tell. Growth and change. It's been fascinating uh, working alongside you so far. And uh, we all are looking forward to seeing uh, what happens next and looking forward to the impact this all should have as it uh, gets to market. Yeah, well, we're extremely excited to uh, have you on board and to work with you as well. So it's a pleasure. Cool. So I won't ask you out here. I'll be there in New York sometime pretty soon, and I'll see you then. Well, sure. And I have the Yankees cap already. I sold it to my brother, so you know. <laughs> All right. It's a start. <laughs> it's a start, right? Yeah. I have to uh, adjust to the new environment, but I'm still a Frenchie, so it's fine. I'm a Frenchie in New York. There's plenty of that, though. Again, it must be a bit of a change food-wise. I don't know. When I go to Europe, I spend two weeks in Europe. I come back here and it's like, oh, my God, they expect us to eat this stuff. This is the hardest part for me. And my mom is Italian, so I'm very used to Italian food. And here it's all like I'm like craving this Italian food, but the real Italian food, not just the pasta that we think is Italian. So food-wise, it's actually quite a, a challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. All right. Thanks. Uh, Thank you so uh, much. Thanks for all you've done and for coming on today. And we'll talk soon. Talk soon. Bye.